Good morning, friends. It was 32 years ago that uh, my wife Jeannie and I moved away from Wichita and we took part of Wichita with us and it has always been in our heart. Uh, I was called to serve a congregation in another city uh, and then uh, God has led us to various places but uh, we always cherish the 11 years we spent with you which were my first years in ministry. You all loved us and supported us and I made all of my rookie pastor mistakes among you and you tolerated me and then you gave me a good foundation and launched me forth with your blessing. uh, We love this church, we always will. Its legacy is amazing. Part of its legacy has always been remarkable music. Thank you, choir. Wow, how, how much of a joy it is to hear Anna on the organ again and to hear all of you and uh, Boy, it is really a joy and kind of an intimidating privilege to be behind this pulpit where Frank Kick, my mentor, spoke so many powerful messages for years. And today, I have the opportunity to share with you one of the greatest promises in the Bible. Of course, the legacy of this church is that you have always been founded on the word of God. And today, we're going to be reminded of a promise that is for all believers, that actually was first delivered by God through his mouthpiece some 2,500 or more years ago and has sustained and strengthened believers ever since. So this promise you're about to share with me in reading is for you and for me. Take this home and hold on to it for the rest of your lives, my friends. This is God's word to us. Isaiah chapter 43. Listen to these words. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel. And by the way, Jacob and Israel mean all the people who love God and follow him, including those who are today followers of the Messiah, the one Savior of the world. So this is for us. O Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I and the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. Wow, may God grant us understanding of these timeless words. The modern airport is one of the most amazing inventions of the past century. It has gone far beyond its precedent, the old railway stations. 
and you all, I'm guessing, have been to an airport. Why, some of you have been in an airport hundreds of times. And yet to uh, refresh our memories and allow us to re-enter into that experience, would you just pretend with me for a minute? Let's take a little mental trip. Let's imagine that we are going to travel together to some distant destination to see some family or friends or sites, and uh, it's too far to drive by car, and so we have chosen to fly. Therefore, on the appointed day, we arrive at the airport. Maybe we've driven there, maybe someone has dropped us, but we go first to the departures area. We have to get our boarding pass and show our ID. We may have to check our luggage, which is, when you think about it, one of the great leaps of faith of modern times. I mean, you hand your possessions, your valued possessions to somebody you've never seen, they take them, put them on some conveyor belt, and it disappears, and you are just believing and trusting that when you get to where you're going, somehow that precious set of belongings will be there. Anyway, we have decided to take that leap of faith, and so with boarding pass and ID in hand, we go to the security and snake our way around, and then we get to the big imposing metal detector where board government employees try to move us along like shepherds with recalcitrant sheep, and we, we finally get through And then we put ourselves back together, which can be a little stressful. And then we head to our gate. And once we get there, if we're fortunate, we will find some vinyl seats to sit on. And we get ourselves settled. And we wait. And we wait. And we wait, and maybe we go to the restroom, and maybe we get a snack, and we wait some more. And finally, we hear, crackling over the speaker, the boarding call. Well, the pre-boarding call. And then the, uh, the people who paid the most money, and then the rest. And we finally get in the line, and we show our boarding pass, and we go down this tunnel. And finally... We step into a big aluminum tube with wings, and we are officially now out of the airport. Airports are the prototypical in-between places. We only go to them in order to get somewhere else. Nobody goes to spend a day at the airport, do they? Unless you're working there. Our whole intent is to get out of there as fast as we can and on to where we really want to be. Nobody lives at an airport. And the purpose is simply to get through it to our destination. You know what this is like. But I want you to think for a minute today about an airport as being like a metaphor or a tangible symbol of the in-between places of life. Those transition times, those things we go through because we've all been there. 
And we all will be there again. And some of us in a room this size, I, I'm certain there are some people here this morning who are in some kind of an in-between space. And these are not surprising and rare. They are a normal part of life when everything changes. The whole environment or, or some significant part of your life is different than it was and you have to figure out how to navigate that in-between place. And in fact, even though it may dis be disruptive, it is an essential part of living. It's a part of what it means to be a Christian. You get through those in-between places. And, uh, and these happen, and they happen regularly. The in-between places, those experiences of life when a lot of change occurs, are defined and referred to by psychologists as liminal experiences. I'm not gonna bother you with using that big word today, uh, though if you're curious, it comes from the Latin word limen, which means a threshold. It's that space that separates the outside from the inside, or one room from another. And as you go through that in-between space, things are in flux. Things are changing. Your environment will change, which is life, because none of us are static. You don't get to go all the way from childhood to the end of life without changes. They come to all of us. And it is crucial that we learn how to successfully navigate those in-between places. A lot of them are predictable. Actually, if you're aware and not living with blinders, you can see some of the most common coming. Let me mention a few. An 18-year-old who has spent all of their life in the security of hotel mom and dad, where needs were met, now has to go off to college or a career or something, and oh boy, going to college, it may be exciting, free at last, but there are a lot of new responsibilities. What do you mean I have to do my own laundry every week? And I've got to manage a, a bank account or a checking account. Whoa, this is different. Another change, we'll call it predictable change and transition number two after four years, or eh, maybe five, or maybe if you can stretch it out longer by going to grad school. But finally, when there are no more degrees to be sought, you have to enter the world of work. And while that may be exciting, and what you had worked towards, ooh, there are some changes. That student is no longer gonna be able to sleep till 10.30 and stagger out of bed to make it to their 11 o'clock class and then stay up till all hours of the early morning with friends or playing video games. Now, that boss is gonna require you to be at your desk at 8 a.m. every day. That's an adjustment. Think about number three, 
A young man and a young woman have been married for a couple years and maybe it's been a smooth transition and adjustment and maybe it's been a little bit rocky and then she's pregnant and the real transition begins. Oh, for a few months, they can get ready, the room ready, read a book, go to a class, but hardly any first-time parents are really completely prepared for the transition in life that is awaiting them. And so, two weeks after the baby was brought home, he is standing at the office Keurig machine, trying to keep his eyes awake as he waits for his morning jolt of caffeine. And uh, his supervisor comes up to him and says, boy, you look pretty tired. Yeah, I was up three times last night with the baby. The boss just chuckles smacks him on the back and says, welcome to the new normal, buddy, and then saunters off, which doesn't help. Predictable change number four, years later, he or she, after a long life of working, comes to what our culture identifies as the ultimate Valhalla, the great paradise of retirement. Oh, at last, I can do whatever I want, except that that predictable transition may involve some inner anxiety. Who am I now? Uh, what am I supposed to do with my time? Think of other predictable uh, times of transition and adjustment. Uh, five through eight, I'll just identify quickly. Number five, you've been married for a long time and suddenly you are single through the death of a spouse or a divorce and that upsets the life and routine you have known. Number six, you've been healthy all your life. And now you're not healthy and something has happened. And you, especially if you are disabled or you're unable to do some of the things, your body doesn't cooperate with what the brain tells it to do like it used to, that's a hard adjustment. Number seven, you take a new job. You start a new task and you've got new people and new procedures and new demands. Number eight, you move to a new city. Oh, it might be exciting. It might be an amazing town like Wichita, except you've got to find a new doctor, a new dentist, a new dry cleaner, a new pizza joint. You've got to find everything new. There's a lot of change. And all of these are predictable. I'll bet we could identify, if we were honest with one another, a hundred other significant in-between changes that have occurred in your life or in mine that weren't expected and weren't anticipated, but they put us into that liminal threshold, that in-between. And in all of these situations, we've got to figure out what the new normal is to be. Now, I by no means want to imply that every change is bad. Actually, some changes are good and they're exciting and we feel alive and we have new adventures or exciting possibilities. But there are other transition times that are hard, that involve loss, that involve something we didn't choose or anticipate. 
So how do we, if we're going to navigate this life God has given to us successfully and as he desires, how are we going to deal with those in-between places? Well, this may be a surprise to you, but the reality is that this book, God's Word, was significantly written by and for and about Times of transition. Oh, so much of Scripture involves this exact thing we are talking about. Why? You go back to the first book, the book of Genesis. You find that Abraham and then his son and then his grandsons all are dealing with this in between of life. God has told them to get up and move. You're going to a promised land, but you're not ever going to be really settled there. That is going to come all the way down the road. And so they live their whole lives as nomads in transition. Then you fast forward a few pages to Exodus and a few hundred years, and you find that Moses leads a group of people who were nice and settled in what was really a lousy life in Egypt, but that's all they knew. And Moses said, pack up, we're going to an in-between place. And they went into the desert, which is sort of the prototypical in-between place you don't want to spend much time in, but they did. They had to go through that, didn't they? And Finally, the next generation got to settle down for a little while. But after messing things up repeatedly, God said, you guys are going on another in-between journey. And so they were carted off to exile in Babylon. And we find that our book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and many others are written to people who are in exile, who are really in that in-between place. And then we get to the New Testament. What did Jesus, our Savior, do before he began an amazing, world-changing three-year ministry? He went to the desert, and he spent some time in that in-between place to prepare. And then we go a little further, and we find the great Apostle Paul. Boy, if there was ever a type A planned individual, Paul was it. He had his list of to-dos, and he knew where he wanted to go. But life didn't always deliver Paul's plans as he'd hoped. And sometimes he found himself in a jail cell. You talk about an in-between place. How's Paul going to pass his time? Hmm. He decided to write a few letters, which was a really good choice. So you see our faith is grounded in this in-between experience. And actually, theologians will tell us that the entire Christian life, the entire gospel, the entire experience of being followers of Christ is an in-between between what we already have and what we are yet awaiting. They call it the already and the not yet. We already, if you are a follower and a believer in Christ, you already have as your unshakable possession forgiveness of your sins through Christ on the cross and his constant presence and strengthening within you and his assurance of eternal life. But you don't have it all yet. That still awaits either when he comes for us 
or we go to him. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear what can be yours now, but also what you will be awaiting. Not only is the Christian life this transition or in-between, but the human experience is filled with it. Some communities go through an in-between place, like my community in Southwest Florida, hit by a hurricane uh, less than three weeks ago. We're trying to figure out, who are we? Uh, A lot of the environment has changed. Churches go through in-between times. Maybe this church is. Uh, Every church I've been a part of goes through some transitions. Maybe our nation is in an in-between space from what we were to what we're gonna be. Maybe we have an election in a few weeks that's gonna be a transitional time. There are all kinds of transitions in life. And we need not deny them or live in a fantasy that we can go back to the past. Have you noticed that time has this annoying insistent tendency to only move in one direction and you can't go backwards so we've got to accept okay the past is past how am I going to deal with now and here's some great encouragement you and I whatever our situation now or next week or next year always have choices We are never powerless, no matter what occurs, because we can always choose how we will respond or react. Do you remember a man by the name of Viktor Frankl? As a young man, he was caught up in uh, the uh, Nazi Holocaust. He survived the concentration camp. Afterwards, he became a renowned author and psychologist, and he talked repeatedly in his writings about what he discovered in the Nazi prison. Namely, that he still had a choice of his mind. The Nazis could control my body, he said, but they couldn't control how I chose to deal with it internally. We all have choices, no matter our situation. And now back to where we started. And this is how I want to close, by just reminding you of what we read a few minutes ago. For these words of Isaiah 43 are addressed specifically to people who are in the in-between place. And oh, what a powerful reminder that whatever our environment and whatever our situation is, we are never alone if we trust in the Lord. This is what he is telling us. Verse two, catch these words again. When you go through deep waters, not if, but when, because it'll happen for all. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. Not I might, I will. What an incredible assurance. What an incredible promise this is. 
If you haven't embraced this God who promises to be the one who will never forsake you and who will travel with you step by step through all of life's journey, I urge you to seriously consider saying yes to him. This is an amazing promise for those of you who are believers. Claim it. It's yours. It's your guarantee. One more time. Here's the last verse we read. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Thanks be to God. This is the solid rock that we sang about a few moments ago. This is the land that will never be shaken, though all around is earthquake. This is the promise that we will cling to through all of life. May I lead us in a word of prayer? Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have promised to always be with us. Thank you that you made that promise assured and confirmed by coming to earth in the flesh and dying for our sins and promising to put your spirit in our hearts, never to leave. So Lord, we place our faith and confidence in you. We trust you and whatever situation we go through now and in the future, we want to be solidly anchored by our faith in you. For we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.